Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, today I thought we should get outside our collective bubble and talk to someone who's been deep in the industry but is now not in the day-to-day cut and thrust. With all the chaos in the past three to four months, what does Danny Bass see looking into the industry fishbowl? Danny, if you don't know, was the former CEO of IPG Media Brands in Australia and prior to that was Chief Investment Officer at WPP's Group M. Going back a few millennia, he was at News Corp. Now, it was about November last year we had Danny on an MI3 podcast talking about the peculiar negativity that envelops the Australian industry and issues around mental health. Clearly, a lot has happened since then, so let's get an update. Danny has been conducting executive leadership offsites for a number of agencies and media companies in recent months. We won't hear any names, rather sadly, but it will give us a sense check for how the industry has been managing over the past three months and really what the hell might happen next. Now, it won't be music to some ears, but Danny is convinced people need to get back to the office for culture and because physical interaction is the catalyst to make magic happen in the agency, media and marketing sectors. So welcome, Danny Bass. Um, You have been, uh, you finished gardening leave last year and uh, you've been into the new year. As I understand it, this might be about your second Zoom call (laughs) Uh, in, two, in 2020. Well, mate, if this is what the industry has had to put up with, with Zoom calls in the last four months, I'm surprised there's an industry left. <laughs> yes, well. So I already admire everyone who's been doing whatever they've been doing the last six months, but uh, if, if life is now through the, the, through the uh, lens of Zoom... People have my utmost admiration. Well, we're going to get to a whole bunch of that 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 theme because um, you have a very uh, possibly contrarian view at the moment on on that. But Danny, let's um, you have been outside the industry, you, or you've been kind of a foot in and a foot out, if you like, with what you've been doing mm-hmm. um, with your offsites and your executive um, leadership stuff. But let's start from an outsider's view. Give us a two minute fast track on what you've observed uh, of the industry at large since the COVID thing really hit our shores probably early March. What do, you, what do you see has been happening? To your point, we last spoke back in November. And um, I think if anyone had any inkling of what 2020 had in store for us as an industry, things might be, be very different. But it hit hard and it hit quickly. And um, no one saw the magnitude of, of what was about to happen. I think for me, I, I was working alongside a business sort of in the ecosystem, but, but focused primarily on events, high-end luxury brand events, seeing the impact of events being cancelled, which then meant a call to a venue, a call to a security company, a caterer, a DJ, um, a florist, and the knock-on effect this was happening in that industry gave me an incredible fright in terms of what was about to happen. And I would say there was probably from that a two to three week lag when it really started hitting the agencies and started affecting media bookings. But for me, in terms of who I was talking to and the calls I was getting, it it hit quickly. There was certainly a sense of, in some areas, panic. In others, okay, we've got to pump the brakes very, very quickly. Um, Businesses shut down, briefs stopped coming through, sales staff stopped having meetings in the way that they had, briefs stopped coming in. So it was a real rude awakening, a real quick shock 
for the, for the whole of the industry. There's, there's no question about that. What about how people were feeling, Danny? Not so much about maybe what the industry was doing, but the, the, the sensibilities and sentiment that was going on both at the top end and with the people, the talent. Well, I think, you know, and you mentioned it there at the start, you know, we are an industry that, that is, um, I believe, at our strongest when we're together. And all of a sudden, that came to a, uh, a very, very abrupt halt. Um, people started to do their jobs from home. I think there was an initial period where no one sort of figured out what was going on, how long this would go for. There was quite a shock to the system. Um, there was early retrenchments. Um, there was talk early on of people's salary, 20%, 10% pay reductions, all that sort of stuff. So I think people went into, um, as, as you would expect, a, a, a feeling of, of nervousness in terms of what's going to happen. I think as the weeks progressed and people got used to the new setup, there was almost a, as, as I felt, a, a calm come across the industry around, okay, we've got this sorted, we're ready for the foreseeable future, we can manage this. Um, dare I say there were some people who were, were even enjoying it, right, as, as, as a change and a um, different way, a different approach, not having to commute into work, spending more time with, with, with friends and with family. And, and focusing directly on on the task in hand. Clearly, that wasn't the set, the experience for everyone. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But I think as the weeks have drawn on, I've got this sense from from leaders down to more junior people in the industry of what's about to happen next. And I think if we'd have done this podcast two weeks ago ahead of the Victorian lockdown and what's probably looking like some form of new South, lockdown in New South Wales, the sentiment was one of it's slowly coming back speak to anyone this week, and that's changed dramatically. What are the conversations that you're having with those industry leaders? What is the, the conversation? What are the themes? What are they focusing on? Those leaders who, pre-COVID, had a strong executive team, um, strong culture, good chain of command, and clear strategy, have done well, or as well as can be expected during a period like this. I think for those who, who, who didn't have that, who didn't have a clear plan, who didn't have that line of communication culture within their um, executive group and therefore filtering down to their business, have, have really struggled. Is that widespread though? How common is that? Most agencies and media companies would have had a plan in quote marks, surely. I don't think anyone had a plan in terms of how you run a company remotely. Sure. How you engage not just your executive team, but the two, three, four, five hundred people underneath. Um, you know, we are an industry that's, um, that's, that's built heavily on relationships, both internally and externally. Um, and and, and to, um, to move from a culture like that to one of Zoom calls, phone calls, text messages and emails, particularly when people are feeling nervous, you know, that, that, this would be difficult in any circumstance, completely changing the direction and feel of our industry. But when people are feeling like they're feeling, it's incredibly difficult to give them that confidence, to figuratively put the arm around and, and give them that support when you're doing it via a Zoom call and there might be three or 400 people on that. Interestingly, we had a, in your old territory with the MFA, we had some MFA, MFAs on talking about how the introverts were actually okay with it. The extroverts that needed that uh, interaction and, and bounce off with people were, were, were really struggling. But let's break it down, uh, Danny. Uh, indies, 
versus agency networks versus holding companies versus media versus brands and marketers. Let's start with the indies versus the agency networks first. How do you see those two groups faring? Are they going to be in the next three to six months? Will they travel any differently? I think both have opportunity and challenges in different ways. So for, from an, if, if you're an indie, you can be more nimble. You're probably dealing with a different set of clients. You, you, you may have a more intimate, closer, more direct relationship with that client. You find with the indies, and this is no um, disrespect, that, that there could be a smaller client who's probably a little bit more hands-on. Um, obviously, the larger holding groups or larger agencies will tend to skew more into the larger, larger clients. So the relationship may not be as strong or may not be as direct as it may be with an indie. So that's an opportunity for an indie. Um, obviously, the downside of that for an indie is, is cash reserve, um, the ability of a holding group, a large agency to lean on their regional global counterparts, to have that infrastructure, to have cash reserves, to have um, an infrastructure in place that can help navigate this, whether it be for six months, 12 months, two years. If you're an indie, particularly a new indie, you're probably not gonna have that. So the challenges and um, probably sleepless nights on the indie side are different to those on the holding group side. The networks though, the big, the bigger agencies, you know, we've seen Forrester come out and talk about uh, forecasting 100,000 agency jobs at risk globally, 50,000 in the US, 50-something thousand uh, internationally. Bob Hoffman was on last week's podcast. He fears that agency job cuts will will, will, will be around circa 30%. Um, so there's still pressure. There's clearly pressure coming on the, on, the, uh, on the networks and holding company brands, but a different sort of pressure, you think? Yeah, of course, because you're also um – working with global budgets and global P&Ls. So the predictions around job losses, no one knows because no one knows how long this is going to go on for. And no one knows the impact that it's going to have on individual economies, the path back to work. You know, from an Australian perspective, you know, the end of JobKeeper, if we're in a period now of two to three years of semi-permanent lockdown, no, no one really knows. You know, if, again, if we'd have had this conversation two weeks ago, would have probably been more optimistic. So I think it's difficult to say 50,000, 100,000 positions across the industry globally will, will, will disappear. Does 30% seem too high to you uh, in Hoffman's estimates? Well, I mean, I, I assume he's also talking about creative agencies and everything else. Yes, Why? yeah, not just media agencies, that's right. Yeah, I, I'm more media agencies. And, you know, I, I think the difficult few years media agencies have had where um, we, we've had to um, reassess our position you know, the relationship with clients has changed, um, the offering has changed, has probably got us into a stronger position to weather this out than we would have had before. Ultimately, there will be a number of cuts being made across P&Ls continually, and some of that stuff may never come back. So, you know, I think about how much travel, entertainment, hospitality would have been on a P&L. That's clearly been taken off now. I would assume on every PL that doesn't no longer exists. I wonder whether that would ever come back again. You know, there will be a number of things that have been removed from PLs out of necessity that may never come back. Now, that may protect jobs, that may reinvent the way an agency operates, the way a holding group operates. Because I know from personal experience how much those um, cost lines can be on a PL. You remove them. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're a different business. You can operate in a different way. 
What about um, media agencies versus media? Who's going to be hardest hit, do you think? I, I, I think both are, both are going to be hit, both are being hit. I do think media owner could be in for a much tougher time over the coming 12 months um, than the media agencies, although both will be facing significant challenges. It's been talked about for many years now, can this market sustain the amount of media owners um, that we currently have, particularly as the large digital tech players get stronger and take up more revenue? If the market isn't there, those media owners who were already struggling to create a long-term sustainable revenue stream, that will only get worse. And that's, that's not a great thing to say because we need a very strong, healthy media industry. You, you have this analogy, you know, uh, about being where the companies become um, in response to this, whether they, be, whether they are butchers or whether they are surgeons. Um, elaborate a little bit on that because is there any choice here? Do, do, there's, there is, if you talk about the media sector, is there anything but a, a chopper? There are two ways of looking at it. Um, some are forced into a position where they have to make very, very difficult decisions and cut quite aggressively into their P&L. Whereas others will have a similar tact, but also use as an opportunity to reinvent their business. And I think leaders and leadership groups who are smart here, who have a plan or had a, pr- a plan pre, pre-COVID around how they could reinvent their business, could use this opportunity to transform the way they operate in six to eight months, what might have normally taken them two to three years and probably never got to this stage where they would be happy. So I think there's certainly signs of some businesses doing that. And I'm not talking about the the digital businesses, pure plays, traditional legacy businesses. You know, I I can see um, that they've used this as an opportunity to, to reinvent, but that goes hand in hand with some very, very difficult decisions, which inevitably mean people losing their jobs. Yeah, I was going to say, is reinvention simply another word for downsizing or is it different to that? I don't know if downsizing is, is the correct word, but clearly it will affect roles that will no longer exist or roles that will be moved into other areas, whether they be more profitable or... Um, or more relevant in terms of what clients will be expecting over the coming years. Let's get to the contentious one, which um, I would imagine is going to um, trigger a little bit of conversation in the market, which is your very strongly held view that working from home um, is not the answer, at least for the agency and media sectors, because culture uh, is, is, is so important and, and physical interaction around that culture is really so important. That's essentially the thrust of your argument. Working from home, you want people back in the offices. You think people need to get back in the offices. Is that right? Well, first and foremost, no one should be going back into an office if it's not safe. Sure. Right? Yes. And, and, and whatever I say now and wherever this debate goes, um, it will always and should always be in light of um, the recommendations from, from the government. But if, if we wind the clock back, say, two weeks ago, when things were looking, looking better and more optimistic, um, my view is we are an industry that is unique. We are an industry that, um, that is centred on its people, its creativity, its thinking, its passion, the way we drive ideas forward, um, the, the additional work that people put in that no one else ever sees. And I, I, I worry 
about what sort of industry we will have moving forward if our industry is centred on people working from home. But clearly what this has done has shown that roles can be done from home. There'll be a few sacred cows that have been slaughtered along the way on this, which is great. Um, you can see it opening up um, opportunities for um, older workforce or people who left the industry for, for life decisions that couldn't come back. And I think that's a great thing that this has forced companies to think about remote working. So I think that's really important. And I think whatever happens in the future, it's shown that we are an industry that can be more mobile and agile. But I still come back to my strong belief that we are better as an industry when we are in a room together, working together, solving problems. And I do fear particularly of younger people who, um, who may, may have been put off by agency world, agency land over the past couple of years because of shiny new things elsewhere. Um, what is their attraction for joining our industry now? When, you know, I, I think about my passion in terms of media investment and, and the role that a media manager that someone in an investment department does. And that's a tough gig, right? And it gets tougher and tougher every year because there's more and more people um, appearing on a media schedule. I can't imagine many people wanting to do that from home, particularly if you're 21, 22, fresh out of university. You know, I think about great people who I've worked alongside um, who, um, you know, really are good examples of the art of media trading who would, um, you know, walk the floors and sit with these people and learn them the craft of, of media investment, how are they going to do that if it's working from home? And that also, you know, reaches out into areas like strategy and creativity and, and all the areas that I think make media so good. I fear um, over time, if, if we're not back together, if we're not solving these problems, driving the industry forward, um, collectively benefiting from the brilliance from within, um, will be a very poorer industry because of it. From the media owner side, I think it's first mover advantage. I think who, whoever can work that piece out in a safe way, getting people back together in the office, um, will uh, will benefit from it enormously. I, I, I really believe that. The the other interesting, I think you, I'm sure you've seen and heard the anecdotes, but we have this um, potential split uh, of positions between company leadership and say someone like you says, come on people, let's get back in. And the people, the worker bees, the, the, the talent from, you know, right at the start of their career all the way through saying, actually, I don't want to go back to the office quite like this. And so there is these, these, these stories, you see these and hear these stories about people going, I don't want to get on the bus. I don't want to get to, I don't want to, you know, catch anything. And at the same time, you might see some, some social media shots where they're actually hanging out with their friends. This potential fracturing between leadership and the people on work from home, is that going to present itself some 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 challenges in, in coming, well, when we can? Oh, it's, it's live now. I mean, the, the, again, the conversation a few weeks ago when it was looking like people were gearing up going back to work, you could see, I, I, I you know, experienced it on a few of these off-sites around divisions as to whether or not people should be made to come back, how, how people would come back, what that would look like. Is it, a, is it a grid system? Do we pick people up so they don't have to go on public transport? There was all manner of conversations going on. Um, clearly, the minute people go into lockdown and the minute the government say it isn't safe to travel, then no one's coming in, and, and nor, sh nor should they. 
before we saw the the the, the, the recent surge come back. Where was the the sentiment uh, sort of moving to, at least with with leadership on this scenario? Grid system, pick people up, get them back at the office, stage stage return, all that. Were they were they erring to yes, it's at the office. Clearly, it's a blend of both. It's not going to be either or initially. But well, well you've already got some who've already come out and said we ain't coming back till January, right? Some some went early on that, and I think that's a very smart thing to do. Um, you know, one of the things that clearly is having a positive effect is when communication comes early, regularly, and it's clear to, um, to employees as to the direction the business is going. I think in times where people are feeling concerned and feeling worried about their, their jobs and, and salaries and everything else, the more information they get, the, regular that inf- the more regular that information comes through and the clarity of that message does make things easier. So those who went early and said, look, we are closing until January 2021, the employees know and they can make, um, make arrangements and, um, and, and set themselves up for that. Likewise, their management team can use that six, seven months to organise what that's going to look like. For those who hadn't yet confirmed as to whether they were coming back or people who were coming, it was looking they would may come back in the next few weeks, it's a new plan again. So I think you... You have to stand by your convictions early, communicate quickly to your team as to when they will be coming back, and then subject to government advice, stick to that plan. Now, I just want to come back to this 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 notion of yours around the, the culture and the need for interaction, physical interaction. Um, if we look at uh, a piece we did early, early on in, in, in MI3 last year with a guy called, a media ecologist out of the US called Jack Myers, he had some, some, some fairly, um, you know, numbers now that look probably uh, less surprising, but he was talking about uh, how 95% of all media transactions will be informed by machine intelligence within five years, 65% will be completely automated, and just 25% of media tra- transactions will remain relationship-based. That puts a, a very different uh, lens on working working in the office, culture and people and relationships, because is everything going to be automated? Does it matter? I don't agree with those numbers and the, and the, and the timeline that he's put forward. Clearly, there will be a, um, a march towards automation, as, as there has to be, but I, I don't think it's going to be as severe and as quick as, as, as what you've just said. One of the things that does concern me about the culture and people working together again is how are we supporting people in the industry right now? You know, we, we spoke last November about the impact of... Um, or the impact of the industry and the pressure and workloads on people's mental health. If I think now around, you know, junior managers, you know, it might be the age of 26 to 30, managing four or five people remotely um, who've already had 10 to 20% pay cuts, working nine-day fortnights, it's really important that those people are being supported. It's really important that all the decisions that are happening around return to work or not return to work or the future of the industry... Um, that needs to be front and centre in, in, in the decisions moving forward. And I think by getting people to, to physically locate together wherever possible will help those issues, those problems that we see. Because it stands to reason, if you're a young manager, forget the pressures you're under at work. 
this period, you're under a lot of pressure. You know, one person said to me, they were getting calls and um, people were saying, look, if we take another 10% or 20% pay cut, I can't eat next week. That was a, that was a real, that was a live conversation. That was a live, it, it was passed on to me. That, 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 that wasn't said to me. But I would imagine there are conversations like that happening throughout the industry. And that's an enormous amount of pressure on a young manager because that young manager is probably feeling the same issues anyway, right? They're probably thinking, how, how am I going to pay my rent? You know, Sydney, Melbourne, they're very expensive cities. If you're not living with your parents. Um, so how are we gearing up to support those people? Um, how are we ensuring that, you know, the four people, five people, might be ten people that they manage are all being equally supported as well? And I think it's really important in this entire conversation that, um, that that stuff remains at the heart of any decisions which are made. Um, entirely valid points, Danny, and that's for now and for probably the next couple of years. But I know you've said you don't buy Jack Meyer's predictions for 2025 about automation and, and yep. how much will be relationship-based. But at the same time, uh, is not what the technology companies are doing, whether it be Facebook, Google, ad tech companies, where so much of the transactions are automated, whether it be programmatic or not. It's the machines doing it. There's not a lot of face to face. So again, I just want to come back and dr- drill you again on the, on that on that notion that does relationships, does the physical, do people matter as much in five or seven years time than 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 they do now? They will matter as much in um, 2025 as they, as they matter today. We, we might have a, a different looking workforce, but I just don't think we move as quickly as we might think we do. And I would, I would be pretty confident to think outside of wherever this pandemic leads us, if, if we get back to re- some form of recovery in the next three to six months, um, our world will still look pretty much the same. The holding groups will still be the holding groups. The indies will have their moments. The consultants will still be doing what they're doing. In-housing's probably increased more. But I I just don't see the industry, as much as people want it to, and as much as it needs certainly automation in a number of areas, I just don't see it moving that quickly. Things could change, right, clearly. Um, if, If we'd have been having this conversation a year ago, no one would have predicted that the entire global workforce would be, would be all at home. Um, but I, I just don't think on a, under normal circumstances the industry will move at that pace that that effect will be in place by 2025. And, 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 and just, just to finish on that, if, if we don't have the people that we have right now, if we stop attracting the type of people that we do, then our industry will be much worse off for that and we will lose what I genuinely believe makes us unique. Except that uniqueness is not working commercially. Well, for agencies it's different. Media owners, for instance, you know, you see the tech companies, they don't they don't need the people. I think there's a great stat, it's very old now from Scott Professor Scott Galloway, New York University, who says, you know, basically per WPP needs uh, something like a hundred people per ten million dollars of revenue. Uh, Facebook needs eight. Google needs ten. Amazon needs—I don't know what they can't remember what the Amazon one is—but the reality there is that there is a benchmarking on people. That's a big cost. That's a big, big cost. And does the differential between having people versus machines does it equate? I, I think one of the more interesting things out of Facebook during this this period was um, the about face 
from Zuckerberg regarding the, the Facebook campuses and um, the, the move to allow people never to work in a Facebook office again, but also that their salary would, as I read it, their salary would be linked to the cost of living where, where that person decided to live, which is an enormous change given the whole Facebook model was built on the campus model with the free food and, 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 and the rest of it. So I think that you could look at it as, as a great thing, but if I worked for Facebook in the States or even Australia, I'd probably look at it and get quite nervous because that allows him to offshore an enormous amount of roles very, very quickly. I think in terms of you know, larger salaried roles in traditional agencies or, or media owners, you know, this, this, this period will give all businesses the opportunity to look at those roles and maybe they're not the sort of roles that will, 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 be, will be around moving forward. Um, I think most agencies now will have cut by necessity, but can now, and, and media owners as well, but can use that, back to the surgeon or the butcher analogy, can now use those savings um, to redefine and, and, and redesign their business. What would you think that could look like? Let's pretend that you were still somewhere at the helm of the ship. How would you use the time now to reinvent? You would have to double down on your relationship with your clients and truly understand where they felt your relationship was and what they wanted from you in the coming 12, 24, 36 months. And re-engineer re if your business needed to re-engineer, truly around the client and truly understanding the role that you played within their business. Supporting the CMO, supporting his or her team and ensuring that your voice was right at the top table when decisions around the future of that company were being made. So you mentioned consultants, we're, we're, as, we, as we wrap up here, you sort of in our pre-conversations mentioned that there's plenty of pain going on in the consulting firms, which were those coming to eat the agency lunch at one stage. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I think most people know how ruthless they can be when it comes to making money. And it's shown how ruthless they can be when they stop making as much money as they used to. It's surprising to see the numbers that are being let go from those businesses, but it shows the pain they're in as well. Not as magic as what maybe some feared? Well, I think we all, and I put myself in this group, you know, had a few sleepless nights when, when they first came over the, came over the hill. Um, but as, as we got to understand more and more as to how they were operating and what they knew about our industry, and also then realising, oh, actually, there's certain parts of it we would like, but the rest of it you can sort of have yourself. Um, so, you know, if I, if I was working in the role I was in previously, I, I'd be less concerned about the consultants than I had before. I'd be more concerned around my people and how we engage with them and keep them motivated and continue to show what a great industry and a great career um, this industry can offer them. And I think there'll be people right now who are looking at this period, who are redesigning their businesses or inventing businesses that will come out of this in way better shape than before they went into it. Way better shape. Do you subscribe to the view though that particularly now post-COVID or through COVID and post-COVID that, that 
the agency business at least and those agency networks inside the holding companies do need some uh, radical surgery not or butchering perhaps. <laughs> but so how, how deep does the change, not singling any, any group out, but how deep does, do, do these, does this transformation need to happen? Well, as I say, I, I think this transformation started a few years ago for, for the vast majority of the holding groups. Um, there is still an enormous amount of clients that need that size and scale that holding groups offer. You know, it's, it, it can't be done on an indie level. You know, the, the, the requirements that are needed, the heavy lifting that's needed, where we may have gone wrong is complicating that, that solution um, in the eyes of clients. So I think the, the, the simplest, a simpler model, um, showing value, showing transparency, showing um, how the agency can be a real driver of top and bottom line growth within that, within that client is, 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 is doubly important. Um, but I, so I'm, I'm not privy to the conversations, but I, I'm under no illusions that those holding groups on a local level will look and feel um, very different from what they do today. Now, I was talking to uh, Sorrel, Martin Sorrell's uh, regional uh, team the other week, or the other day, I should say, uh, S4. Yep. Now you'd expect them to say this, but you know, when I asked, her, "What do you? What is? What is the future of the um, of the holding companies?" And you know, they they, they have Martin's position now, which is very quickly they went just too big, too slow, too cumbersome, too lumbering. Good talent, the system won't let them do what they need to do fast enough. Did your irony meter explode as he was saying that? It's a fair point because I, I have this conversation a bit with people that it is great irony that, you know, Martin now blows up WBP, but he did he was the architect for what it is today. There's no doubt they will continue to grow and, and as they do, they will hit the same issues that all global businesses eventually do um, as they reach that level of scale and, and complexity. I'm sure they would argue against that. But I don't, gen- I don't really believe that the offering is um, unique against what currently exists within the majority of agencies and certainly the holding groups, but they've done a very good job in packaging that together and they've focused on areas of the industry that clients are more focused on and are the most areas of profitability. And they have a very, very strong front man in Sir Martin who's certainly knocking the doors down and getting those guys at the table for a conversation. So, look, good luck to them. I'm sure they have a very clear plan in where they want to be in the next 12 months and uh, they'll fight aggressively against the agency groups and holding companies who will return fire accordingly. Yeah, well, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I'll give you that. Hey, so listen, to wrap up, Danny, um, what advice would you give to people? And let's talk to, to everyone below executive leadership. So what advice would you give them? What should they be thinking about? Because some of them aren't going to have jobs. Let's be real. We have to be real about this. Um, they're not going to, some of them aren't going to have jobs. But for those that will or might, what would you be telling them to be thinking and doing right now? Wow. Um, look, the this enforced period of, of, of sort of isolation from the office um, certainly gives everyone an opportunity to, to retrain, to study, to learn more about the industry, to, to work on different projects and to become a better all-round media professional. So at the start of this, everyone said, don't waste the crisis. And, and I think that's true, 
right? It's, it's, it's probably tempting just to, to do the work that you need to do and, and that's it. But the, the smart people out there, and, and I've spoken to them, you can see you know, they're using this as an opportunity to, to redefine their career, to see where the next opportunities may be. You know, a lot of younger people, they were attracted to our industry because you know, within two to three years, there may be an opportunity to go and work for an office in, in, in Singapore or, or London or, or New York or LA. And I think that's been a big attraction for our industry for, for a long time. Um, that might possibly disappear for a few years. I mean, certainly no one's going on an exchange for the next 12 months. And I think it's more than likely that's not going to happen for the next two or three years. But you want to be associated with a business that's going to be around in two or three years. And you want to be with a business that's going to help help you, support you, um, support you not just in your career, but, but in your mental health and, and everything else. So I think, you know, choose wisely. Um, ask, you know, ask your business, you know, make sure the business is giving back to you what you're giving back to them. But is that, rea- is that, is that even um, possible at the moment? And choose wisely. People don't, probably don't even have a choice at the moment for, for, for jobs, right? They're going to they're gonna be in the gig they're in and they'll be trying to hold it. But, but that's what I mean, choose wisely. You know, work harder. <laughs> However hard you're working at home, always assume that there's someone else working twice as hard, right? Because if, if it does get to the point where there's a, um, a rule and a red line going through a P&L or an org chart, you want to be the one that stands out that they go, we can't let that person go because they can cover many bases, um, their contribution during this period, um, the way they are engaging with the business means, means that they're the sort of person that we want. If, if you're doing the bare minimum um, and logging on and doing what you want to do and then that's it, then the likelihood is if, if the red ruler is coming out, you might be in a difficult position. Do you think it's ramped up a little bit now? There's, there's a little bit more survival to, as a motivator. I mean, for me, again, it goes back to people working together, right? Some people will, will just find it very difficult to motivate themselves working from home. So we're going to see different sorts of personalities, maybe people who are more quiet in an agency, who weren't as culturally led, who weren't the loudest voice in the room. They may, you know, they may be blooming now, right? It's... Uh, it's, it's an opportunity for everyone to redefine their career. Um, but you're right. Everyone right now, whether you're a CEO or an intern that started as, as, as yet to meet anyone, will in their own way be nervous about as to whether or not they'll have a job this time next year. And, and that in itself is not a good thing for the industry to be, uh, to be focused on. It's a reality, but I think that's the, um, that's the major thing. When you have so many people deeply concerned for their future. Can they pay their rent, their mortgage, they're getting married, school fees, whatever it may be. Can I just say, don't do kids, anyone's thinking about it, it's okay, (laughs) don't do it. I think those things are at the heart of how a lot of people are thinking right now. And again, you know, I, I, I would imagine the heads of people and culture, the heads of HR, um, are doing more work now than they've ever done before and, and I just hope and pray that um, those, those teams are being supported and certainly not the ones that people are looking at in terms of downsizing or taking um, funding from because we, we've never needed those people more than we, uh, than we have now. And finally, what about you, Danny Bass? What does the next three to six months, nine months uh, look like uh, on, in your horizon? Well, the first six months of this year was pretty different from what I thought they were going to be back in back in November. Um, and as you said at the 
in the intro there, um, I've been running a few um, off-sites um, over the past couple of weeks, um, executive off-sites, which have come from a, from a separate business stream that I'll not bore everyone with, but um, what, what, it, what it's shown is that there is an opportunity to, to work with exec groups as, um, as they start to come back together, whether it be physically or certainly in terms of working strategy out before the end of the year. I mean, it's not too long now till we're um, in upfront season and in a few weeks' time, negs for next year start, which will be, which will be a fascinating conversation. So I've just been, um, I've been helping a few businesses on both sides of the fence in terms of preparation for that. Well, when you can talk about that, which I don't think you'll ever will, uh, yeah. we'll have another crack. Danny Bass, um, great talking. I think keep observing uh, from your position and let's uh, have another catch up in, in a few months and see how things are tracking. Good to talk. Great. Thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.